We'll see how far we get tonight. As Father, as we gather, um, and we're looking forward to this weekend, uh, we thank you uh, for what you have done here at Calvary Chapel. But I thank you that we can go through the scriptures and we can be wise for salvation. We can be wise in the days in which we are in. And Lord, I pray that tonight would do that very thing, that this wouldn't scare us, but it would really prepare us and bring comfort to us. As we see things unfolding, Israel back in the land, as we talked about last week, uh, the, the restoration of, of Israel, the dry bones that live, um, that a nation that was dead is come back on the scene, just as Jesus said would happen and the prophets of old said that would happen. And we know it has begun the last day's clock. And even though we don't know the day or the hour of the rapture of the church, your return, Lord, for the church, but we can be wise and discerning and know that you come when we're least expect at an hour that we do not know, and we are to be watching and waiting. So help us to be that watchman on the wall, to, to be able to minister your truth to others, and to be comforted by what it is that, that um, we are going to be studying. And so, Lord, thank you that we are in our text tonight. Exciting, exciting days that we are in. Very amazing days, as we're seeing right before our very eyes prophecy that is being fulfilled. Things that were spoken of 2,600 years ago. Absolutely amazing. So, Lord, we just give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I mentioned already, that last week we saw the rebirth of Israel uh, and the bones in the valley that are coming alive, uh, it was Ezekiel that was asked by the Lord, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gave a wise answer. He said, Lord, you know. And so the bones began to shake, and they came together and made skeletons. And then the muscles and the tissues and the skin came on uh, the skeletons to where they were corpse. And then, uh, again, Ezekiel was asked, can these be made to live. And, and Zico said, you know, Lord, and he breathed life into them. And it's speaking about a nation that was dead that has come to life once again. And not only is there in Scripture and in these chapters that we looked at last time, in chapters 36 and 37, is there a physical restoration? And keep in mind that the restoration of Israel, that the Bible speaks of a physical, literal restoration of Israel. That is that they will come back into their original homeland and they will be established there once again. We saw that fulfilled in 1948. After World War II, after the atrocities of the Holocaust, that the Jews began to get in the boats and come into Israel, at that time called Palestine. And we know that the United Nations came up with the plan that let's make a state of Israel, uh, let's make a, a state of Palestine. It, the Jews said, yes, we will accept that. Uh, the, the Palestinians um, said no. The, the Arab nations that surrounded Israel said, don't accept that, because if they declare independence, we're going to push them into the sea. So on May 14, 1948, as Ben-Gurion, the last uh, British troops that occupied that area, would leave, that he would declare independence. Of course, with the, um, with the recognition of President Truman in the United States, uh, that really led to way for Ben-Gurion to do that, the first prime minister. 
and they became a nation and they were attacked immediately uh, that very hour by the nations around them trying to destroy them and so God he said that when I bring them back that he's going to protect them matter of fact you can look at the last a few verses of Amos in that book and he said that I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up now we know that that wasn't uh, concerning the Babylonian captivity because we know that they would be plucked out again as Jesus said we even read it on Sunday in the triumphal entry as Jesus was was weeping over Jerusalem he said uh, you didn't know the day of your visitation. And because of that, an embankment's going to be built around you, and they're going to surround you, and, and there's going to be devastation and death and destruction, and not one stone will be placed upon another. So when Rome came in, that they destroyed Jerusalem. And it's interesting that we have been talking about Nebuchadnezzar, how he destroyed the first temple built by Solomon. And then it would be after the 70 years of captivity, that they came back Zerubbabel, they rebuilt the second temple, it was a modest building, but then Herod the Great, at the time of the birth of Jesus, remodeled it, and it took, they remodeled it clear up till 63 AD. I mean, we're talking 30 years after the death of Jesus, uh, but it would be a short time, seven years later, that Titus came in and destroyed that magnificent temple. And the destruction of the temple with Nebuchadnezzar that we looked at the date through Jeremiah and looking at Ezekiel, and then also in, uh, when it came to the Romans, it happened on the same day. Isn't it fascinating um, that it took place on the same day uh, of the year, same date, uh, and we know that the Jews were then dispersed, as Jesus said, you're going to be taken captive to all the nations. Now they have come back, and that's what Amos is speaking about. When they come back into the land, they're not going to be plucked out again. And God has protected Israel against overwhelming odds. Because not only were they attacked at that time, and you can go from, from uh, the airport when we fly into Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv, and if you t drive that road up to Jerusalem, that you see that there's memorials there. And they made homemade tanks, you know, trucks with armor around it. They didn't have an organized, you know, army, but they, they would defeat um, those the foes that came against them, trying to destroy them. And ever since then, there have been those wanting to destroy Israel. And we're going to see that as we go into Ezekiel chapter 38. But to give a little bit of historical background, that we know that there was the Six-Day War in 1967 when it was those nations, once again, Egypt and Syria and Lebanon and Jordan and Saudi Arabia and even Iran was a part of that, that they were going to push them again into the sea. And in six days, Israel defeated them. And as they did, they would take the West Bank, they would take the Golan Heights, and they took all of the Sinai Peninsula. So Israel grew because before that, East Jerusalem, which has the Temple Mount, where the temple once stood, the, the holiest site in Israel, the Western Wall, uh, where the Dome of the Rock, that's a Muslim site up on the Temple Mount, that it was under the nation of Jordan up till that time. But in June, and there's going to be the anniversary coming up on this, uh, of, of 1967, Israel took over all of Jerusalem, clear over to the Jordan River, what is called the West Bank. And for the very first time, and this is very, very significant, 
that Israel sovereignly ruled over all of Jerusalem for the first time since 605 B.C. Absolutely amazing. 2,600 years that they took over Jerusalem. And, And I believe prophetically it was a very significant event. And as I remember being young, wondering, is the Bible really true? That one of the things that, you know, that I researched was how we can trust the canon of Scripture, how it was put together, but also just prophecy, how God predicted that not only would they go into captivity and come back uh, once, but twice, and that is even in the last days how he would bring them back. And it was unheard of, of, of a group of people, a nation that had been out of their homeland for 2,000 years to come back to their original homelands. So God is protecting them. And then in 1973, another major attack came. And that was from those same nations. And it was on Yom Kippur, called the Yom Kippur War, where they attacked Israel on their holiest day. That is the Day of Atonement is what it used to be called. It's Yom Kippur, um, the Day of Fasting. And they were attacked. And actually, that Egypt broke through the lines to the south, Syria to the north, And we know that um, as that took place, uh, some were wondering, is this part of Ezekiel? And as they broke through, that looked like Israel may be going down. Actually, the tanks, it was a major tank attack from Syria, the largest tank invasion in, in history. Um, in the Middle East, and I believe it may be of all time or since World War II. And they came in across the Valley of Tears that you can look across and came across that high ground, the Golan Heights, and down the hill they were to the Sea of Galilee, and and we know that they stopped. Uh, History records they stopped. They, They thought something's not right. Egypt broke through the lines to the south. They stopped. And they were confused, and that gave enough time for Israel to regather, to get their troops going, and then they would defeat those enemies. And what happened during that time that a lot of people don't know about the Yom Kippur War, there was a lot of David-like heroics that we won't go into tonight that are documented that took place. And then also that it was the prime minister of Israel that called President Nixon at that time and said, please help us. Please help us. We're about ready to go under, and we need help. So President Nixon, who was told when he was a child, his mother told him that if you ever had a chance to help Israel, you know, if you ever become in a place where you can do that, in a place of of leadership, help Israel. So he began a large, uh, you know, import or, you know, importing or exporting weapons to Israel to help them so they wouldn't go under. And the bases in Europe closed all their bases. They said, we're not going to be a part of this. They didn't care if Israel went under. And where the weapons and the supplies went to help Israel was in Iran. And that is interesting because at that time, if you would have told Iran, uh, told Israel in 1973 that Iran's going to be one of your major enemies, they would have said, no way, they've helped us. Also what happened during that time is that I remember that I went into NORAD, down where um, they, you know, had in the mountain uh, the command center where they watch all the missile exchange and things like that. I believe that's now in... uh, 
the, the Space Command, the Peterson Air Force Base, the new facility that they have there. But I remember going there almost probably 30 years ago, going in with Pastor Chuck, and they had a big table that was there in the command center where the generals would sit if they ever had to gather together during a crisis. And they had a cover over it, but then there was a drawer that they said, you can open it up, and there was a phone there that would go to the White House, to the president uh, initially. <clears throat> and if there was any threat of a nuclear exchange, they could call the president. That table has been unfolded, or was, you know, while it was there, twice in, in American history. One was during the Cuban uh, Missile Crisis under Kennedy, and then the second time was in the Yom Kippur War in Israel. And what had happened was, is that as Israel broke through the lines up north through Syria and then Egypt and started to gain ground, they said, this is it. We're going to go to Cairo. We're going to go to Damascus. We're tired of war. We're going to take it over. And then, of course, Russia at that time, and that's before the you know, that was the old Russian uh, USSR, and, and they had provided weapons for those Arab nations around Israel. Um, they called Nixon up and said, you either put an end to this or we're going to put an end to this. So that's where they thought that perhaps Ezekiel 38 might be taking place as well. And Israel, as they seemed like that they were going to go under because it's a small nation, Coming down the Sea of Galilee, down the road is, you know, Jerusalem, down the valley. And so what they did is they pulled out what was called the Samson option. And you know Samson, the story of Samson, that as he was bound up uh, by the Philistines, that he pushed on the pillars and took everybody out. And, and that was, they thought that, you know, they uncovered that table at NORAD because Israel's about ready to pull out her nukes and, and to, to use them. Um, the Samson option that they had. So very interesting history that is there. But they continue to be under fire. They made a peace treaty with Egypt, of course, the Camp, Camp David Accords under President Carter. They gave the Sinai Peninsula back uh, to Egypt. And they've made a peace treaty with Jordan, and, but yet the Western Bank uh, is still under the hands of Israel. And then Syria, the Golan Heights, they, that high ground above the Sea of Galilee, uh, they kept that and they actually annexed it. So uh, what we're going to see is there's continued hatred against Israel. And now as Ezekiel talks about they're going to come back into the land, there's a physical restoration, but also Ezekiel's been talking about, and Jeremiah did as well, and it, Isaiah would speak about it, there's going to be a spiritual restoration as well. And that will take place at the end of the tribulation period when they recognize that Jesus was truly their Messiah. So let's begin to look at Ezekiel 38. With all that in mind, I, I know it's a lot of history and, and a lot of commentary before we get into the text. But we need to understand this, folks, that God is using Israel in the last days, and they are the focus of the last days. We will see that in Daniel when we go through the book of Daniel. I believe the Old Testament very painstakingly makes that clear, and even in this chapter, because what is popular in some circles of evangelical Christianity is, as I've said before, replacement theology. And the church replaces Israel. And Israel being in the land is just a coincidence. 
and they have no significance. God has rejected the promises that he made to Israel. And we have seen going through these books of the prophets, I hope we understand it, that the Lord said that I will bring it to pass. You know, I will make this happen. He will be faithful to his people and that they will come back and there will be the physical restoration and the spiritual restoration as well. We're even going to see it very clear. So to, to hold on to replacement theology or to adopt that in your thinking that what it does is, is it just goes against many verses of the Old Testament, whole chapters, and even some of the verses that we're going to read here. So let's go into Ezekiel chapter 38, that now, that as they're going to be planted back in the land, and they're going to be there, and uh, we're going to see how God's going to protect Israel in this battle that is in the latter days. Now the word of the Lord, Ezekiel 38, came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog in the land of Magog, the prince of Rush, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I against you, Gog, the prince of Rush, Meshach, and Tubal. Verse 4, I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Verse 5, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer with all of his troops, the house of Tagarma from the far north and all his troops, and many people are with you. So as we look at this, we see that there's a confederation of nations that formed this great company is what Ezekiel is seeing here and prophesying about. It's a huge army, like a cloud, coming against Israel. And Ezekiel prophesying against Gog. Now, Gog is a title. It's, it's the name of, uh, of a leader. It's a, uh, it means man on top. So this confederation of nations that will lead this attack is tied to Gog, who is the leader of this group of people called Magog, and then the other nations that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. So Gog, this leader, Magog, uh, Magog, as you look at it uh, historically in, 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 uh, in the scriptures, was one of the sons of Japheth, who was, of course, one of the sons of Noah. And you can see that listed in Genesis chapter 10. But also from historical writings, we know that Magog refers to an ancient people known as the Scythians. And they were settled in what we know in that area today as southern Russia. So uh, they were ones that were in that area. The Great Wall of China was described by ancient Muslim writers as the ramparts of Magog. And it was to keep the Scythians out who are ancestors to what you would call Russia today. So this Gog, who's the leader of Magog, Russia, if you draw a line from Jerusalem straight north, you know you hit uh, Moscow. So most scholars looking at this believe that what it's speaking of is that this confederation of nations that are going to come against Israel that is going to be led by Russia. It's going to be led by a leader of Russia. Uh, and then this great army that's going to join, they're going to come from the far north. So that seems um, pretty clear as we look at that. And verse 3, as we read here, Behold, I am against you, O, o God. Secondly, the prince of Rush and Meshach and, and Tubal. Rush is the sixth son of Japheth. 
Tubal, the fifth son of Japheth. And scholars, again, looking at history, you can do further reading on this if you want to really get in depth to it, tracing these ancient people back in time. But Rush, Meshach, Tubal are associated to what we call Turkey today, Turkey, which is north of Israel. And then in verse 5, as we continue to look at this, Persia, we know who Persia is. Persia, uh, as we continue talking about the, the Babylonian captivity, and as we go through the historical books of uh, the scriptures, uh, we also know that part of it is, you know, Ezra, Nehemiah, um, and Esther. But after Babylon uh, was, was defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire, then that's when Cyrus gave the decree that they could come back. And Isaiah prophesies about that. Cyrus, who is my servant, that they could go back and rebuild the, the temple. That would begin the second temple period. But we know that um, the Medo-Persian Empire, that area in, in the east of, of Israel, Persia has always been Iran. Matter of fact, um, Iran was called Persia up until 1935. We have Ethiopia, or it might be in the King James, I believe it's translated Cush, uh, and some of the translations that you might ha have is speaking of perhaps Ethiopia, but probably more specifically of Sudan. Uh, you have Libya, which is in northern Africa, and, and with Gog and Magog and their armies, all these confederation of nations. So you're talking about Turkey, Russia's leading it, Turkey, a major player, Iran, you have Sudan, you have Libya. All these are today are alliances that are being made and the alliances are becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. Verse 6, as we read here, Gomer and all the troops the house of Tagarma and the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. There's some debate on that, but some have tied this to Turkey. Others says that they're an ancient people that established themselves in Eastern Europe. So there's some suggestion that is there. Um, Turkey, Turkestan, remember that uh, this, the Russia, USSR, broke into five republics that broke away from them, um, that were Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, uh, Uzbekistan, and, and the others, that maybe perhaps they're going to be a part of this as well. So all of these nations, what is interesting, except for, you know, really Russia, that they're, they're Muslim nations. And they are ones that really are hostile towards Israel. Now we know that, that over the years, that as we've seen the, the political climate and um, the, the alliances coming together, that it seems like that Russia and Israel that they have warm relations right now, but that relationship is going to get worse. Now, here's the interesting thing. In 1973, I remember I said that, because I remember Pastor Chuck was talking about this, that he was actually in Israel when the war broke out. But as, you know, you, you, you would talk to those in Israel that someday Iran's going to come against you. They would say, no, you know, they're our friends. And, of course, what happened in 1979, those of you... 
uh, who are old enough to remember this, that the, sh- the Shah of Iran was uh, kicked out of Iran, and then the radical Muslims came in, the Ayatollahs came in and took over the country. And ever since then, what we have seen, and what is interesting, never before in the history uh, you know, since Ezekiel wrote this, has there been these alliances that have come together? And what we have seen, something very, very significant that happened when uh, Syria went to civil war several years ago <clears throat> in the last six, seven years. And what has happened during that time, you can, you can listen to the news and you can read the Bible and you can see that the alliances today with Russia, Turkey, and Iran are getting stronger. They've made military alliances, and we also know that Russia has troops in Syria, that Iran, uh, that has its proxies in Iranian, uh, uh, the, the guards the, 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 that are there, they're there in Syria, and also Turkey is there as well. So they're all there, they're troops, and there's no sign that they're going to be leaving. So that's why I say that there's stage-setting events that are taking place even today that we see to the north of Israel. When we went there last time, right before COVID broke out, we went at the end of 2019 to Israel. We stood up on a mountain overlooking the Valley of Tears. About 40 miles away is Damascus. On a very clear day, you can see the suburbs of Damascus. But even our tour guide was telling us that down below, as you look at, uh, you know, this village here, that there are Iranian troops that are there, that there's Hezbollah that is there, uh, that there is, you know, all those uh, people that are there desiring to find a way to destroy Israel. So what's going to happen is Ezekiel's telling us that there's going to be this confederation of nations, Russia, Turkey, and Iran, uh, they've already made alliances, alliances that have not been, uh, you know, there since the beginning of time. All of a sudden, in the last uh, six, seven, eight years, ten years, are coming together and being hostile towards Israel, especially Turkey. It used to be that people from Israel, that they would vacation in Turkey. And they would help Turkey if there was an earthquake or something. Now the tensions are very, very high with, with Turkey, uh, with their prime minister, with their president. He's very hostile towards Israel. And then, of course, Iran with the Ayatollahs, uh, that they are ones that they want to be the leader in the Middle East. And Iran has determined to destroy Israel. Please keep that in mind. This, that when Iran talks about that we want to destroy the big Satan, the United States, and Israel, the little Satan, there's a whole spiritual theology that's behind it. Their, their, their beliefs, their Islamic belief that the Iman is going to come, the, the Muslim uh, Messiah is going to come, he's going to come and he's going to destroy America, Israel at that time. Um, you know, the, the caliphate, you hear that term. That's how it's going to be done. And Iran believes that they're going to be the leader in that. And that's why they desire to have nuclear weapons. When, when they, you know, are trying to do that, they have a whole theology that is behind them. And we need to remember that. When they say, we want to destroy Israel, here's the thing. 
in Germany in World War II, and, and you can go through the Holocaust Museum, when, when the Germans said, okay, we're going to put you, the Jews, into the ghettos, everything will be okay, everything will be fine, they believed that. They, they actually believed that. They went there, things got worse, and even when some of them were taken by train to the gas chambers, they said, you know, you're just going to go, you're going to take a shower. The people went into those rooms, those big rooms, and got gas. They, they didn't know what was happening. So today, with Israel becoming a nation, the dry bones live, they became a nation, they have a very strong military, that when a nation says we want to destroy you, they take that very, very seriously. So here we see that this confederation of nations with strong ties are coming together. And what is interesting that in verse 4 here it says, I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses, horsemen, and splendidly clothed, great company with buckler shields and all of them handling swords. So it's interesting that the Lord says, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. Now when the Assyrians took the ten northern tribes off into captivity, that they came from the north, and as they did, the Assyrians were brutal, and they were known for putting fish hooks into their captives' you know, mouths, and then uh, they would lead them off into captivity, kind of string them along. I mean, they, they were just terrible at torturing people. And the Lord says, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw this confederation of nations that's, that's coming against you. And let's continue reading. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be on guard for them. In verse 8, this is, this is very important. After many days you will be visited in the latter years. Note that. In the latter years you will come into the land, and those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, they were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. Verse 8, right there, that one single verse dismisses replacement theology. That say that Israel is not a factor in the last days. Here, this battle is going to take place, and we'll see it as we continue to read here, that this is going to take place in the latter years, in the latter days. The Lord says, I have visited you. And when you see that word visited, remember that uh, Jeremiah, that he said that the captivity is going to be 70 years. After 70 years, the Lord says, I will visit you. It has the same meaning of Noah after he was, you know, the flood took place. He's in the ark. And it says that after over a year that the Lord remembered Noah. He, he visited Noah. He remembered him. Here Israel's been visited. It means God's going to unfold his plan that he has for them. In the latter years that I've brought those back from the other nations to the mountains of Israel. So this one verse kind of summarizes what we talked about all of uh, last time in Ezekiel 36 and 37. And this battle is going to take place in the latter days. Now here's the thing about this battle. It is not the battle of Armageddon that takes place at the end of the tribulation period. It's different players at that time. It has the Antichrist that's involved. That He leads his confederation of nations uh, up against, uh, you know, uh, not only Jerusalem, uh, but the last world war that will take place. So there's different players here. This is this attack against Israel 
in the latter days, it will take place. It has not happened. It was not the Six-Day War. It was not the Young Kippur War. Uh, this is yet future. And when Israel's back in the land, when they're in the mountains of Israel, when they are, all of them dwell safely now, because Israel has such a strong security and military, they dwell safely. You know, their cities aren't walled. Let's continue. Verse 9. You will ascend coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. And thus says the Lord God, on that day shall come to pass that the thoughts will rise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. And you will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are you know, again inhabited against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Now you remember that as we went through Ezekiel 36 that when they come back into the land that the, the, the ancient cities are going to be built, the land's going to blossom once again. We know that the ultimate fulfillment is going to be that in the millennium reign because in the millennium reign the desert's going to bloom. You know, Isaiah speaks about that. Um, that the Dead Sea is going to have fish in it. They're going to be fishing. But we are seeing since they come back in 1948 that they have rebuilt the ancient cities, that their cities don't have walls around it. This would be very foreign to them at that time that Ezekiel is, is writing this because ancient cities had walls around them, be the watchman on the wall looking out for danger to protect them. And here they're dwelling safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates. And, and all of a sudden, this confederation of nations are going to come up with this plan, this uh, evil plan that will arise. And verse 12 is interesting, to take plunder, to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against people gathered from the nations who acquired the midst of the land. So once again, it is mentioned that they come back into the land, they come back gathered from the nations when this takes place to take a plunder, to take a, a booty. It is absolutely incredible what Israel has done in their history in just a little over 70 years since 1948. So what they have done is in the land, as you look at it, one of the strongest militaries in the world, um, the best pilots probably, them and you know, United States in the world. Um, they are ones that have you know, a strong economy, agricultural technology, high tech, um, absolutely amazing what they've been able to do. When you go there, you see that the desert is blooming. You see the agriculture that has taken place, um, greenhouses, uh, how they've worked the land again, absolutely amazing how they were just, they came from the ashes. You know, Isaiah writes about beauty out of the ashes and out of the ashes of the Holocaust, how they've come back into the land and made it a beautiful, beautiful place. A lot of people think that Israel is, you know, sand dunes and, and you know, people riding around on, on camels, you know, shooting each other. It's very, very beautiful. And the technology and the cities are modern cities. Uh, we love going there and looking at Israel and, and seeing what has happened. And every time, first time I went to Israel was 
almost 30 years ago, um, in the early 90s. And what they have done is I've gone back several times and led groups, and someday hopefully we can go soon again to see what God has done, uh, how it's becoming more green, um, the major highways, you know, the cities being built. Um, and even during this COVID, what is interesting, and I've mentioned this before, that as everything stopped and travel stopped, uh, that there were from New Jersey planes that were flying into Israel that had uh, those who were Jewish that said, we are leaving and we're going to go back to Israel. So there was like a, a, over a quarter of a million you know, immigrants that went to Israel. If you're Jewish, you can get citizenship. So people were still going to Israel during the pandemic. And, and tens of thousands of them going to Israel saying, we want to make our home there. And they've been coming from the nations, and, and they have been gathered. The ultimate gathering is going to be at the end of the tribulation period. But as you read this, listen, folks, prophecy is being fulfilled right before our very eyes. As we read Ezekiel 37 and, and 38 here, they've gathered. They have built the cities. They live securely there. They're always being threatened, but right now, they are a prosperous nation. So what is interesting here is in verse 12, to take a plunder, to take a booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited. So there's a motive why these nations are coming against Israel, and the guess has always been, what is the booty? What is the um, plunder that they're wanting to have? I think partly that it's the land, because it's just so fertile. But also we know that they've discovered right offshore uh, in Israel recently over the last few years is a very, very large natural gas field that is there. And they're beginning to produce natural gas to where they wanted to produce a pipeline that goes to Europe, southern Europe. And, and one of the things that has been suggested is Europe take the gas from Israel and a lot of that natural gas comes from Russia that threatens to turn off the pipeline and all of that. And it's, it's more complicated than that. But get it from Israel. And, and so a pipeline is being built to provide natural gas to Europe and, and those fields. And also is believed that they have discovered some oil up in the Golan Heights area. And, and there's, you know... Uh, kind of debate how much the, the oil field is, could they get it out, all of this. But there is that land that they want. They want the land, they, they want the livestock, the goods, those who dwell in the midst of the land, and they're coming to take a booty. They're coming to take a plunder, um, to take that, that land flowing with milk and honey, and we need to understand that. So this is not... Um, a battle that has happened before. This is a new confederation of nations that are making an evil plan, and the Lord said, I'll put a hook in your jaw. But it was interesting, verse 13, and it continues to get more interesting, that Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all her young lines will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty and to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock goods and to take a great plunder? So now there's a second confederation of nations, Sheba, Dedan, that's Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, we know that, and the merchants of Tarshish. Now, there is a debate who exactly is the merchants of Tarshish. We know that it was, um, it was 
um, Tarshish that would speak of, you know, that place in western Spain um, that uh, perhaps is speaking of western Europe. Uh, her young lion, some suggest that it may be a reference to Britain, um, and the young lions could be America, Australia. They don't join in with Israel. Whoever, you know, Saudi Arabia, uh, whoever is protesting on behalf of Israel, they do not join this battle. But could it be that, you know, Tarshish and, um, you know, that he was one that, um, you know, Tarshish, Western Europe, the United States, the Western nations are saying, why, Russia, are you invading? Why are you taking the plunder? Why are, have you made this evil plan, protesting? But Israel will find herself alone. One of the plans that we know that God has for Israel is that Israel, in this battle of, of Gog and Magog, and also the battle of Armageddon, they, they will find themselves alone. They're not going to get help from the United States. They're not going to get help from any nation. And they've got to rely on the Lord. They've got to look to the Lord. So here they're protesting. Here's the interesting thing, that Saudi Arabia, that they have closer ties with Israel than ever before. And even though they haven't made a peace treaty, that they're on more friendly terms than ever before because Saudi Arabia is afraid of Iran. In Saudi Arabia, you have the Sunnis, and Iran has been, you know, firing, you know, from Yemen, uh, you know, those uh, proxies that they support, missiles into Saudi Arabia. Iran would love nothing better than to take over Saudi Arabia because of the oil fields. So here is Saudi Arabia. Why would they be protesting on behalf of Israel? Because I think that Saudi Arabia is under threat. And it could be that Iran, when they go right across the Persian Gulf, if they come in with this large invasion, that Saudi Arabia may be on their list, you know, in the oil fields that are there. And one of the things that Iran would love to do is bring the Western nations to its knees if they take over the oil fields in Saudi Arabia, whatever, however this battle, they're going to come from the north, but they may be swooping through that area, this large, and then you have, you know, Sudan and you have Libya, they're coming from the south and from all directions, but Saudi Arabia is saying, why are you doing this? And then we have the Tarshish, her, her young lions, and uh, whoever Tarshish is, I believe it is speaking perhaps of Western Europe, is speaking her young lions, could be America, Australia. They are protesting, but they're not involved. And so Israel will find herself alone, be invaded by all of those nations that we discussed in the beginning of the chapter. And then also that um, verse 14, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, Thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place from the far north and many peoples uh, with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. In verse 16, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be, listen, 
Mark this, verse 16. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me, that I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes. And thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I've spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them. So once again, as we are told, how they're going to come up against Israel, we are told a second times that like a cloud that covered a land, it will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O God, before their very eyes. So here Ezekiel is saying it's going to happen in the latter days, massive invasion, another confederation of nations, that the alliances are being made. Saudi Arabia has become more friendly with Israel than they are with Iran, because Iran are Shiite Muslims. And, and so we see all the alliances that are in place right now, and we see that Russia and Turkey and um, Iran have troops that are in Syria. Some have tied Ezekiel 38 to Isaiah chapter 17 that talks about how Damascus will become a ruinous heap. So will there be some event that will take place that will escalate it to where Ezekiel 38 happens or is it going to happen suddenly? So we keep our eyes on it, and there's always updates on you know, what's happening in the Middle East. That's why we watch it, and that's why we watch Israel, because this is in the latter days. Now the question comes, we didn't even finish Ezekiel 38. We're going to look at it. We're going to see judgment that comes on. Well, why don't we go ahead? Well, we'll finish it next time and then chapter 39, because we're going to see how God's going to defend Israel and how he's going to defeat those armies. And then next time we are going to see the cleanup of the battle. And what is interesting about that is it's the only chapter, Ezekiel 39, that speaks about a cleanup after a battle. And why is that? And also, uh, as we look at it, I think that we're going to see very clearly that there are going to be weapons of, of mass destruction that's going to be used. Atomic weaponry. And I'll show you and tell you why. And also, as we go into Ezekiel 36, there's a troubling verse in there. And so you don't want to miss it, the cleanup of this battle. And then after this battle, we go into chapter 40, where God pours out his spirit on Israel, and then it speaks of the millennium reign in the millennium temple. But this is a battle. We'll also talk about that. What is the time of Ezekiel 38? Is it before the tribulation period? Is it the beginning of the tribulation period? Is it in the middle of the tribulation period that's going to lead to the battle of Armageddon? We'll talk about that uh, as well. So a lot still to cover here. But we're going to see that God is going to intervene on behalf of Israel. And we're going to tie it into, you know, how he has those armies will turn against each other. That reminds you of what? Judges chapter 7, Gideon, how the Midianites all turned on each other. Very, very fascinating here that we're going to be looking at. But this is going to be fulfilled. We are watching it. It could be the next major war in the Middle East um, that we see. And stage-setting events are taking place right now. The players are all in place. And so we watch it very, very carefully of these things that are going to happen. We live in very, very interesting days. And um, 
And I hope that you can join us next week as we finish chapter 38. We'll pick it up at verse 18, and then we'll go through chapter 39. And I think that you'll find it to be very, very interesting as we finish it. So, Father, we do ask, as we close here, that, Lord, these things will happen. They will take place. I, I think about in Genesis when Pharaoh had a dream and Joseph interpreted a dream. And Joseph told Pharaoh, clear back in Genesis, that it has been established by God, this dream, and it will take place. It's, it, it's sure. And whatever you declare in your word and, and what is prophetic, that it will come to pass. And Lord, we live in interesting days. We live in fascinating days where we see the church on the scene. We see Israel on the scene for the very first time in 2,000 years since they were taken captive in 70 A.D. And Lord, I pray that we would keep looking to you, that we would continue to be the watchman on the wall, that we would see these things unfolding, that we would look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near. But to also know that there is more than just a geopolitical view here that is speaking of. We're talking about a spiritual dimension here, to how the enemy wants to destroy Israel, how he desires to destroy the church, and that the Antichrist will come on the scene and that he will try to do away with the tribulation saints and the Jews. So, Lord, there's a spiritual dimension, and may we be aware of that, that Satan is working overtime to deceive people. He doesn't want people to know about these prophecies. And, and Lord, to turn to deception. And we want to be wise in the days in which we're in. So I pray that it stirs our hearts, it brings comfort to us, that, Lord, as we see these things, that we would um, rejoice in you. We would comfort one another with these words. And know this, that, Lord, that you have a glorious plan that you're going to unfold. That your word is faithful to Israel and bringing them back into the land, but we can apply it to our own lives. That your word is faithful to us as well. So thank you for that. I pray, Lord, as we come together on Sundays, we celebrate and give thanks to you for 25 years, that you would bless it, and that people will remember to bring their lawn chairs and just come with the expectation of, of, of a glorious time. But Lord, we also want to look forward to what you have for us. And Father, I pray you bless the kids as they gather again on Thursday and Friday here. And uh, looking forward to having them and seeing you change their lives for us to minister to them. So Lord, just continue to bless this week. And everyone listening here, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hope we can see you on Sunday, 10 o'clock, outside. Bring a lawn chair. And um, sanctuary will be open if you want to sit in it. But we're just going to have a glorious time. Looking forward to it. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. For in my need is past.